Hey everybody, it's Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick. You're listening to your Morning Coffee, the podcast. Weekly music news for the new music business by two longtime Cheap Trick fans, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etcher. We were Jay's first concert, 81377, right Jay? Portland, Oregon? I don't know. Have a nice day. From the pudding, how artists get paid from streaming. From Billboard, the 25 musical moments that defined the first quarter of the 2020s. And also from Billboard, artists are leveraging false infringement claims against rivals. Oof. Wow. This and so much more on Jay, episode number 100. Man. That went fast. That went <laughs> and they really said it wouldn't fast. Last. And they said it wouldn't last. So here we go. All right, buckle in, folks. Welcome to the podcast, and here we go. Stand by for transmission. This is London Calling. Wake up! The revolution is at hand. Your morning coffee is on the air. Your morning coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. And Jay, it's been a hundred episodes. Actually, 100. and technically, to be fair, we've really done a hundred and two episodes because we yeah. did two specials. We did with Merck yep. and with with Nancy Wilson from yep. Heart. And uh, but still, we have reached officially one hundred specific episodes for the podcast. Wow. I can't it believe it. It's gone so by fast. so fast, and it's been so much fun. And we've developed so many relationships and have received so many great uh, messages from folks over the last hundred episodes. And today we can announce that we have a special bonus episode coming this week for, you know, to celebrate our hundredth episode. And we're going to talk to Will Page, who is the former Mm -hmm. chief economist at Spotify and the author of an amazing book called Tarzan Economics. And he also is uh, a podcaster. He has this amazing podcast that I don't miss a single episode of called Bubble Trouble. Uh, I can't wait. You and I, this week, we're going to talk to Will, and we'll drop that bonus episode to celebrate uh, number 100. But uh, you and I are big Will Page fans. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, and he's so, as they would say in the UK, he's so cheeky. Uh, he's, he's, uh, he's got a wit and humor about him, but he is incredibly smart, incredibly smart. And so it'll be a fun, I can hardly wait to chat with him because, uh, uh, he's just a sharp cat and it's so fun to hear smart people talk about this business. And 
He's uh, he's going to be a treat. I can hardly wait. Yeah. And by the way, I, we should mention we had Rick Nielsen doing our intro, and that was the that was the first intro we yeah. did on episode number a hundred episodes or more uh, ago. We had <laughs> okay. uh, Rick Nielsen uh, from Cheap Trick, one of my favorite bands. He did the first uh, intro, and we replayed it again uh, for this episode. And we've got some really cool intros to come. And man, just think of all the great intros we've had over the last hundred oh, episodes. It's, you know, a yeah, couple yeah. of my favorite ones. You know, um, I loved having Shirley Halperin uh, from mm-hmm. Variety. From Variety, yeah, was was super cool because I'm such a huge fan of hers and their podcast and and Variety in in general. I think that um, remember the one from. Uh, um, Ace Fraley one was the one that cracked me up because he just completely butchered my name. <laughs> but it was the, it was Glenn Peoples was really good. Remember, oh, he's Glenn like, is great. my morning jacket. Uh, that's no, right. that's not it. Uh, so that was really fun. <clears throat> We've just had, you know, countless intros from folks that was very humbling and very sweet. And you and I were talking before we hit record about some of the messages that we receive um, each week. And it's, I, I guess the word is humbling. You know, it's it's yeah. really great when you you do a thing, and we're doing a thing, and we, we you and I we're just doing it together. Like we would meet for lunch pretty regularly and do the same thing. We just didn't mm-hmm. hit record, exactly. and we get into our conversation. We're not really thinking that you know um, John Smith is listening, you know, in Omaha, Nebraska, or whatever. But then you get that note saying, hey, you know, I listened to your thing and I have these opinions about it or it's it's just really great. We are humbled and flattered that people still come back and listen to us. Yeah. <laughs> we do not forget it. No. And of course, Jay, because you have so much time on your hands and you never sleep, you do another <laughs> couple of podcasts. But I do know that you've got a very exciting episode coming up on your behind the set list. Oh yeah, thanks that. thanks for mentioning that. You know, we we dropped the uh newest episode of Behind the Set List. That's the one that I do with Glenn Peoples from Billboard. And uh we interviewed country singer-songwriter Haley Witters. Um and it's just, you know, a lot of people kind of say that they're, you know, especially in country music say, you know, I'm from a small town and I'm from a big family. Well, Haley is from a huge family and she is from a very small town in Iowa. And it's a really great interview, and she just released um, Everything She Ain't uh, went to radio uh, this past week. And it's just, you know, more hooks than a tackle box. It's just so infectious. So check that out. You know, we've released episodes from Andy Grammer and Ann Wilson, Kurt Smith, Ani DeFranco, and we've got some lined up in the next couple of weeks. So we've got some really great interviews. And uh, thanks for mentioning that. It's just just been a, a joy to do that. But, uh, jumping back to your morning coffee, the podcast episode 100, we are so thrilled that we're, you know, we're able to do this each week. And there's been so many great, uh, stories that have come our way that we've discussed and we've had dialogue with, you know, music industry leaders about some of these things. So it's, it's just been such a joy, but I did want to touch really quickly, uh, during this intro that, uh, 
You may have seen in your morning coffee that Molly Newman has been promoted to the chief marketing officer at Downtown Music, which is amazing. Her. Yeah, it's super cool. Um, in her new role, she's going to oversee marketing and communications you know, across the breadth of Downtown's global group of owned and operated music companies. So special shout out and congratulations to, uh, to Molly Newman. Yeah, way to go. That's uh that's an uh that's a big job. Yeah. <laughs> they got so many different tentacles over there that uh yeah. for her. Good gig, for sure. good gig. By the way, the guy that I've been doing this for at least 100 times is none other than my good pal <laughs> Jay Gilbert. He is the co-founder of Music and Mark of Music Marketing and Strategy Company Label Logic. He's the curator of the Your Morning Coffee newsletter and a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, and Warner Music Groups, not to mention Fox Home Entertainment, and just a groovy chap. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, checks in the mail. Um, my good friend and co-host, Mike Etchart, is a longtime host of Sound & Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music, and is a left-handed guitar player. Did you see that uh, Rickenbacker I sent over your direction? I certainly did. When I, uh, I immediately when I win the lottery, I'm buying that for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I I, uh, I would love to get a, a lefty Rick, Rickenbacker 12-string, actually. So Beautiful. Just, just saying. Just saying, Jay. Well. Um, hey, you know, and as we mark our 100th episode, we must thank our sponsors because... Uh, we we ride on the shoulders of giants, oh, right? So good, you know. Uh, and and people who have been there, people, um, companies, have been there from the start. Um, Banzoogle, for example. So you know, Banzoogle is built by musicians for musicians. Seriously, I mean, these guys actually take time off to tour. You know, you'll yes. call up your buddy over there, and it's like, oh, he's out on the road with such and such. I mean, these are musicians uh, so built by musicians for musicians banzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and epk for your music all the features you need for a professional website everything is built in hosting and a custom domain name dozens of fully customizable design templates tools to sell your music and your merch commission-free that's key commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters social media integrations and live support for their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can go to bandzoogle.com, try it for free for 30 days. Just use the promo code MORNINGCOFFEE, all one word, Morning Coffee, and that'll get you 15% off your first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com, promo code MORNINGCOFFEE. And we are also so pleased to have Hypebot with us. Since the very beginning, since 2004, Hypebot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It is edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with considerable help from Alana Bonilla. Hypebot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. And how about Bands in Town? Over yep. 65 million live music fans Trust bands in town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It is the number one artist service platform connecting over 550,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates, 
across all platforms. How about it? Banzoogle, Hypebot, and Bands in Town. We and, appreciate you. Know, you. T- talking about Hypebot since 2004, I remember, and I don't think I was I was aware of them until maybe 2005, but I remember somebody when I was, we were both at Universal at the time, and I remember somebody saying, you got to check this blog out. You got to yeah. check this thing. And, and it was one of those first things, kind of go-to resources where you just, you know, and we were in, at the time in in or yeah, we were still were you still in advanced tech there? At, at, yeah, at, or was yeah. I there? Yeah, we were there. So you know, you were always looking for these resources to with which to to be better informed uh, in our gig as we were kind of looking at all the cutting edge things that were happening. And yeah. so, uh, fantastic resource. And boy, yeah. we sure appreciate. You'll see a lot of, of articles in your morning coffee um, from Hypebot. Um, typically, I'm just curating the news when it comes to your morning coffee, but you know. A few times a year, I'll I'll write a piece um, for Hypebot. It's it's kind of my go-to. I check it regularly. And the great thing is that you know Bruce Houghton, Alana Bonilla, you know that run this thing. Like like Bruce, let's take him for example. That's that isn't even really his main gig. You know he runs <laughs> know. <laughs> uh, a booking agency. I think it's Skyline Entertainment. And yeah. you know so he understands the business a lot better than most. You know, so they do a great job of curating things. And what I love about Hypot is it's not just, you know, some deep dives on the you know Music Modernization Act or MLC or CRB or those things. It's like, here's some things you need to know about how do you create a bio, a press release? How do you go after sync licensing? It's it helps the experienced artist and manager, but it also helps kind of the student of the game. Yeah. So I'm a huge fan. Uh, huge shout outs to uh, Bruce and his team over there at Hypebot. Yep. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. All right, Jay. Well, let's jump into well, episode number. Yeah, oh, I, no, no. There's one more thing we need to talk about. Well, just really quickly. Sorry to uh, interrupt there. Um, I wanted to touch. Ba- you know, we we have our stories we want to cover today and they're they're amazing and we do need to jump in. But there was a piece on Hypebot that we're not really going to walk through, but I did want to mention, and I know you and I have had this conversation because it's such a big deal and it's quietly happening and I wanted everybody to be aware of it. And that is a story in Hypebot and the headline was New York ticket transparency bill is now law, Uh, more states to follow. And I think that's really crucial because you and I had this conversation before we hit record about how maddening it is for whatever the service when you have all these kind of either hidden fees or mystery fees or, you know, convenience fees. It's like, what the heck, right? And so this new law, uh, I'll walk through just a couple of these. This new law in New York requires that ticket sellers use an all-in pricing, including upfront disclosure of all fees. And you and I know when you go to buy a concert ticket, you know, let's just use round numbers. It's a hundred dollars for the ticket. That's what it says. Right. And then you get through the process, you know, through the website and it might even be double that. And you're like, what are all these fees that I just paid for? Can't I just buy the ticket for its face value? So this new, new law requires that ticket sellers kind of post that all in fee. Mm -hmm. And they also have to disclose what the face value of that ticket is. And I think that's amazing um, they prohibit delivery fees on tickets printed at home. <laughs> Duh. Like, why yeah. is there a delivery why fee? Is there, why yeah, why, right? why do we have to say that and make a law about that? <laughs> exactly. And then, you know, they ban the sale of tickets that were originally distributed for free. 
right? I think that's yep. interesting. And then, you know, higher penalties for using the illegal quote unquote bot programs that purchase tickets in New York. And you know that that's rampant where uh, these bots, which is just a fancy way of saying a little piece of software, will go in and buy up tickets and then they flip them. They, they resell them. And you and I did a story on ticket prices in Los Angeles and we had some really good input from some executives uh, that helped us understand why it is the way it is. But one of the reasons why they don't have a separate section of, uh, you know, inexpensive seats is because these bots will just buy them up, double the price and and flip them. Yep. Crazy. Yep, yep, yep. By the way, and it's not only in the ticket business. I'm booking something on VRBO and it's the same thing. You know, it's like people mess with the cleaning fees and everything. So suddenly you're like $200 a night. And then when, when you add it all up, it's like, wait a minute, that's $300 a night. Why is that? And then boom, 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 boom. Come all the additional fees. And it's so annoying. It's right. Just, and you and I were talking about airlines, right? Oh, you know, the the yeah. price says it's this amount, but it's never that amount. You know, you have, you know, if you want to carry a bag, it costs extra. Or if you want a seat where you can actually open your laptop, <laughs> that's extra. It's kind of it's crazy. So I'm hoping that this is a trend. And we just wanted to yeah. touch on that again. It's, uh, it's by our, our friend Bruce Houghton over at HypeBot, and the headline is New York Ticket Transparency Bill is Now Law. It's in your morning coffee. You can find it on on HypeBot, but um, definitely check that article out, and we'll see how this goes, but I think it's a trend uh, in the right direction. Yeah, and they do mention that uh, similar laws are under consideration in Pennsylvania, Virginia, Florida, and other states for sure. Hopefully it'll come to California quickly because that's where we yes, live sir. and that's where we go to concerts. <laughs> All right, now let's jump in. This first one is so good. It's from The Pudding, how artists get paid from streaming. In the 100 episodes that we've talked about things like this, we've said kind of the same thing, which is it's so remarkable how folks spend so much time to do just absolutely beautiful presentations that are so helpful and um you know like like you've just you've said a number of times people just don't like to read sometimes or it's easy especially when you're reading about how you get paid from streaming it's easy to just have your kind of eyes just glaze over it's like yeah. oh my god and so the pudding has done just an absolutely beautiful job of yeah. making a you know what it reminds me of, presentation. Mike, is that, uh, remember when Will Page did that um, Twitch's Rockonomics? Yes. And it was, it's, it's like that. This presentation is absolutely gorgeous. And it takes something that may be a little dry for some people mm-hmm. and puts it into little bite-sized chunks. And as, as you know all too well, Your Morning Coffee, the newsletter, is designed with this in mind, meaning that... Each story, there's one or two sentences about that story. So you can kind of go down the dozen or so featured stories each week in your morning coffee and just read that blurb and get a sense of what's going on. Yes. And that's how it was designed. It's the old, you know, uh, my years working with, you know, music companies taught me that you don't want to put a ton of text in your presentations or your reports. And if you do, that's okay, but you always have to have that executive summary, right? That yeah. that paragraph at the top of your report that says, if you don't read anything else, this is what you need to know about mm-hmm. this presentation or, or this report. And the pudding 
who did that really cool video a few weeks ago that we uh, we talked about, you know, about uh, viral hits on mm-hmm. TikTok. They do this presentation, and I highly encourage you to go to this, you know, click on the link, go to this website, because it it kind of quickly and easily spells out kind of the economics of stre- uh, streaming, right? So first things first, you know, they state that before any music can be played on a streaming platform, it has to get from the artist, you know, to those platforms. And they they show, you know, graphically, like, you, you don't just upload your music to Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora, Deezer. You go through a distributor, right? Mm-hmm. And they show you how that happens, how you go through a distributor. And it it could be a major. It could be a major indie. It could be, you know, uh, distro kid. It's not hard to get your music through a distributor uh, these days. But that's the first step is that artists are not dealing directly with the DSPs. They're going through a distributor, and then that distributor puts the music up on these DSPs globally. Right. And the most important thing is the next panel, which we talk about a lot. You talk about a lot in the newsletter, and we talk a lot about it on the for 100 episodes. When the music is streamed, royalties will be due to the right holder, i.e. whoever owns the rights to the recording. For example, it can be the artist themselves if they are independent, or the record label if the artist is signed to one. Yeah. That's where the money goes to, the rights holders. Yes. Right. And absolutely. we talk about it a lot. And we'll continue to talk about it because we read things and we post things about artists, managers that say, oh, well, this particular DSP is screwing the artist and they don't pay the artists enough. And as we've said ad nauseum, these DSPs do not typically pay the artists. They pay the rights holder. And then you got to look at your deal with that rights holder if it's a label and, and so on. So the distributor label will then, you know, the, the rights holder will then collect the corresponding royalties from that streaming platform and pay those who are due uh, to receive that money or a share thereof, you know, that goes to the artist. And it really depends on your deal with your label. Maybe you get a 15, 20% royalty. You know, maybe you've gotten an advance that needs to be recouped. There's a lot of things that play into that. But there are also a lot of artists through DistroKid, you know, CD Baby, TuneCore, you know, kind of the DIY uh, distributors who pay an annual fee, but then Mm -hmm. they get a majority of this revenue. Exactly. So then they talk about where does the money come from? As I say, you may be wondering, where do the royalty monies come from in the first place? Essentially, the streaming platforms devote a share of their revenue to the payment of royalties. Then they add there exist two main mechanisms for streaming platforms to generate revenue. Number one, subscriptions, obviously. Users of the platform pay a monthly subscription to gain access to the music on the platform. This is also known as a premium model. There, of course, is... An additional mechanism, which is ads, users do not pay any money, but instead listen to and or see the ads while they use the platform. Mm. That is also known as the freemium model. Not everybody has a freemium tier, as we know, but that is kind of the way that the whole thing starts. And then they kind of break down uh, Spotify's financials for the first quarter of this year as an example. And they have a lovely graphic that kind of talks about (laughs) all these little little circles and balls. And uh, they represent all of Spotify's users. 
and they they break it down basically what Spotify's uh, premium versus freemium uh, numbers are, which I was I'm always kind of surprised at these numbers. Uh, premium spot of of all Spotify subscription service or all Spotify listeners, forty two percent are premium. Yeah, freemium is fifty eight percent. Yeah. And uh, there's also another number in there, and that is how much revenue is being generated. Mm-hmm. And by far, uh, the revenue generated from premium, even though it's 42% versus 58% of the ad supported, is it's primarily through that, that premium uh, model. So um, they talk about it's, it's really about nine times more you know, revenue. It's like 90% of the total revenue is really from premium. And only 10% from the ad supported. And I think, you know, we pick on Spotify a lot because they're one of the big dogs. Um, but that's who they're they're showing here. But I think that's that's super interesting. Yeah, exactly. And then the other thing that is super important to understand is how the artist royalties are calculated. That yeah. has always been an interesting conversation to have. And that's at that point, that's where people's eyes really start to glaze glaze over. I know yeah. mine do when we start yeah. talking about this. So they say they know that uh, at this point, we know that DSPs redistribute some of their revenue to the artists in the form of royalties. And we know how DSPs make money. The question is, how are the artist royalty payments calculated? And as they say, first, the streaming platforms add up the revenue they generated. This dollar stack, which they show here, represents the total revenue. Uh, then the revenue is split two ways. The streaming platform keeps one part for themselves and redistributes the rest as royalties. The exact numbers are confidential, but the press reports that 65 to 70 percent of the revenue is distributed as royalties. Right, right. This and we talk about gets, that a lot. Yeah, it's and, they're paying out uh, roughly 70 percent of what they take in, which is the same as you know when in the download era what iTunes uh, did. So, um, you know, it's not like they're getting rich, um, although it's it's also about the valuation of the company. Like we've talked about Spotify and and their uh, their valuation. So although they're uh, on the path to profitability, it's really a lot about um, investors and a lot about the valuation of the company. Right. So as I say, once the platform share is put away, basically the amount that they keep, the remaining dollar stack, which is shown on the right here, represents the royalties money pot. It Mm -hmm. will be split between all tracks on the platform. Right. And that's that pro rata versus user centric that you and I talk about literally every week. And it is complex and it it is a little, uh, you know, hard to wrap your head around sometimes. But the bottom line is, is that today we're not in a user-centric model, meaning that if I listen to Haley Witters all month, she doesn't get my $9.99 from my DSP subscription, right? It's a pool of, uh, of revenue from all of the above, and it's a market share play. So, And they call that the pro rata model, and that's what they're talking about here. Well, and I think the other thing that kind of always confuses folks is that it changes every month. So, you know, you're not going to see the same, you know, because the pool changes based on who drops out of the subscription model and all that stuff. So there's so many things that make it complex 
that everyone kind of again this is you're well you're you're now deep into the the eyes glazing over portion of the of the, <laughs> of the uh of the program right right uh so that's that's what makes it kind of uh yeah so anyway well uh, as they say go ahead. yeah just to just to add an exclamation point to that you're, you're absolutely right and um it's it's a different pool each month could be larger, could be smaller. So to say that a particular DSP pays this much per stream isn't really accurate because it varies on was it a paid subscription, was it ad supported, what month was it in, what is that pool that it's you know coming from. So it's I wish it was that easy to say that you get paid a half a cent per stream, um, but it varies wildly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it also points really to how hard and how complex the back end um the, the back end calculations that are done by the DSPs how complex those are because there's so many different uh things that have to be accounted for and it's it's dense man that that whole thing is dense yeah. as they say here the royalties pot is split between all tracks on the platform by the proportion of their total streams for example if the track of a given artist represents 0.1% of the total streams on the platform it will get 0.1% of the royalties yeah interesting interesting yeah. interesting interesting and yeah. then, of course, if the proportion of total streams is larger, this track will be allocated more royalties accordingly. Uh, for example, if the track was to get 50% of the total streams, it would get 50% of the royalties pots. Yeah. Fairly straightforward. Yeah. It's, you know, I love that they have all these really cool charts and graphs so you can kind of visually see this. So, you know, we, we highly encourage our listeners to, to check this out. But, you know, in general... You know, there could be several um, several parties that participate in the artist share. So we've talked about the distributor, yes. you know, um, and label taking their share. But, you know, depending on, you know, the different band members, the producer, you know, and then when we get into publishing, we talk about co-writes a lot. It dilutes that pool of revenue. So even though there may be... Um, decent money coming in from from that streaming it it gets split up a lot of different ways and i think that causes people to think that maybe there isn't a lot of revenue in streaming and you know we've said this many times and we'll continue to say it you know a stream isn't worth a download a download isn't worth a cd a cd isn't worth premium vinyl there are certain things uh certain configurations and and values attached to them but there is money being paid uh, from streaming, it's just that sometimes it's it's really split so many different ways that it becomes diluted. Well, and the you know the, the challenge is, and I know you deal with this when you're talking to artists, is that you know you have to. Um, it's like when you have a, a PC and not a Mac, and you you have help. You need you uh, you need to call customer service for something. They spend a lot of time just figuring out what. What are all the components in your computer, and where the conflicts might be? Yeah, a, a, a uh, when you try to explain royalties to artists, there are just so many different pa- you, you, so many things you need to factor in. Like you said, how many co-writes are there? What there's just a lot of things to get to that number and to explain. Yeah. So it is really it, it's sort of a complex situation anyway. And then so many people have so many different situations that yeah. makes it even more complex. Exactly. And that's been the challenge for all of this, yeah. all of these things. Exactly. And you know, my favorite part of this uh, piece is there's this really cool kind of interactive section 
yes. where you can drag these sliders on you know your streaming platform revenue or you know total streams um your artist share you can drag these sliders and let's say you get 85 percent um of the uh the artist share you can drag that slider and then kind of see what what the revenue is as a percentage and i thought that was just absolutely uh, amazing that they created that in this website that it's so interactive and so fun to use Super, super handy. Um, and I think, uh, they, as they say at the end, the puddings, it's either Jan Deem or Jan Deem and Rob Smith contributed to the piece. So it is a super, it's just a really well laid out. And it was El- Elio Quint- Quinton, I guess, who who, uh, who wrote the article or was involved in it. Um, it's just a great resource to have. Like, like all of these things we present when we talk about them, it's so handy. And yep. it brings what is a very complex situation um, to a much more understandable level. Yes, sir. So, good for the pudding. Good for the pudding. We really appreciate that. So, Jay, let's jump over to our good friends at Billboard. This is a really great article, too. The oh 25 musical moments that define the first quarter of the 2020s. And it's like, wait a minute, the first quarter of the 2020s, are we already there? Apparently we we are. are. Yeah, we're a quarter way through the decade, right? Um, And this was kind of put together by uh, a lot of different writers um, from Billboard, um, not just one. Um, And they mentioned that, you know, if if you want to say that a handful of months here and there shouldn't have been counted, they wouldn't argue with you, you know, with the chunks of time lost to the pandemic shutdown and general societal breakdown. It certainly doesn't feel like we've already lived through two and a half years of this decade, but we have, check your calendar, six months through 2022, which means we're halfway through this year and thus already a full quarter of the way through the 2020s. So this is leading to a current moment where the top 10 of the Billboard Hot 100 is largely driven by TikTok, Netflix, and house music. So we're going to walk through quickly you know, some of these uh, moments that define this start of the decade. The first one, which we haven't talked about a lot since it happened, was Deborah Dugan, you know, placed on administrative leave as the Recording Academy president and CEO, you know, back in January of 2020. You know, that was because, uh, you know, she was alleging that the, the real reason she was placed on leave is she had threatened to expose the Academy misconduct, including voting irregularities and, and all of that. But, um, Eventually, Dugan was officially dismissed in March of 2020, and then Harvey Mason Jr. uh, took over and promised this new era of transparency and kind of commitment to greater adversity. So that was one of the first ones. Yes, indeed. And then I, gosh, you know, one of these things when you when you start reading these articles, you forget how time flies. Just like we, it, it has flown with our hundredth episode. Yeah, uh, you're looking at the dates and like, wow, that was really two years ago. Yeah. Uh, the next one they had was the the murder of Pop Smoke at age twenty, and that happened yeah. back uh, February nineteenth of twenty twenty. He was, of course, one of hip hop's rising stars. Um, yeah. And and he was his life was just cut short and. Um, just tragic. And I can't believe that it's been like, it's been more than two years, but yeah. sure enough it has. And, yeah, and of then, course in his death, his yeah. stuff has become just unbelievably popular. And, and to be fair, I had heard of him, but I wasn't that familiar with, with his material when, when the murder happened, but uh, yeah. yeah, it did indeed. And very tragic. Yeah. And then a month later, South by Southwest was canceled. Cause remember now we're talking about March 
and yeah. that's when the lockdown uh, occurred. And uh, like a lot of these conventions, uh, a lot of these uh, events were canceled during the uh, the lockdown. Some of them were virtual, and some of them weren't. Yeah, indeed. It's 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 hard to believe that the 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 lockdown was. And and remember that when we were talking about the lockdown in early March, back in 2020, it was just going to be for a few weeks, a couple of weeks. Yeah. And boy, that 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 wow. was not true. We had no uh, idea. Also, back in March of 2020, Timbaland and Swizz Beats launched Versus. Uh, it was spawned from humble beginnings, two of the most storied hip-hop producers of the turn of the 21st century, going back and forth, battling with their hits over Instagram live feed, one from his studio, the other from his yep. car. Within months, am I, is that the right way? Is, is it Versus? I think it's Versus. Versus. Oh, yeah. Versus. That makes more sense, of course. Yes. It's one of those words where I've read it a bunch, but I've you never hear anybody right. else say it. Right. You don't hear anybody it. say it. You it's just Versus, read it. exactly. And I'm guessing, had, you know, that may be, I, I could be wrong. I think that makes more sense. I'm going to go with that, Jay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And then the next be- one, you know, Blackout Tuesday, um, you know, hashtag the show must be paused went viral. Uh, mm-hmm. That was a really big deal uh, for a while. Um, and that was in June, you know, where a couple of amazing, you know, black executives, you know, said, wait a second, you know, we need to put an end to this systemic racial bias within, you know, the music industry. So, um, that was in June. Yes, indeed. In July of that year, Taylor Swift released Surprise Folklore album, which was, she was, of course, named the Woman of the Decade in 2019. And uh, she released another multi-hit platinum album uh, with Lover with plans for a stadium set of Lover Fest the following year. But of course, the coronavirus pandemic happened. And then the Folklore, which was a very much of a surprise album, uh, was just a an absolute smash. And I remember when I started hearing tracks from that going, oh my God, this is a great record. Yeah. So uh, yeah. good for her. And that was a that was unbelievable. And, and she just kept releasing albums. And we talked a lot about her re-records and how right. just unbelievable that process has been for her. So again, when you talk about just iconic artists of the 2020s. You, yeah. you have to put her at the top of the list. Yeah, and then also at the top of that list is BTS. You know, the, yep. in September, Dynamite debuted at number one on the Billboard Hot 100. And, of course, BTS is uh, a juggernaut. And we've watched since then um, so many uh, big-selling, big-streaming releases, uh, you know, the tour, the... You know, all of the news around the hiatus, is it happening, is it not happening? So that was, uh, that number one debut was in September. Right. As we roll into September, don't forget, and how can we forget this, the TikTok user Dogface208 goes viral (laughs) with Fleetwood Mac Dream. Remember that? The skateboard with the ocean spray and (laughs) it was, it was massive and who would have thunk it? Yeah, exactly. Just one of those things. And that was really... Boy, you know, I mean, not that we weren't talking about TikTok already, but boy, that just put TikTok on a map in an entirely different stratosphere yeah. in terms of just people paying attention. Yeah. And then a little bit uh, around the same time, Bob Dylan selling his catalog to UMG for nine figures. Right. And that was that boy, gold that, rush, right? We've been talking about all of these catalogs that have been sold to companies, you know, like Hypnosis. You and I interviewed Merck Mercuriatus for a bonus episode of this podcast. Um, but there are companies like Primary Wave and KKR and BMG and 
and even some of the music groups like UMG and Warner Music Group are getting into this um, frenzy of of buying up rights, whether that's masters, publishing, name and likeness. There's There's been a lot of that happening. It may have cooled down just a little bit, but that was... That was a big deal when Bob Dylan sold his. And that same month, Bad Bunny debuted at number one on Billboard, um, which was a huge, huge deal. And uh, you and I have talked to um, uh, Bruno Del Granado uh, Mm -hmm. a a bit about Latin music and what a, a massive thing it is in the industry today. And Bad Bunny is kind of leading the charge. And then just a month later, and you and I, I remember talking about this, Olivia Rodrigo released Driver's mm-hmm. License, and that was such a huge song and such a catalyst for her career. Yes, that was early January of 2021, and yeah, what a what an amazing song. Um, in February of 2021, my goodness, I'd forgotten about this too. I, yeah. Uh, thankfully, uh, Morgan Wallen caught on video using the N-word. Um, yeah. Oh boy, that's that was tough. Um, yeah, and you know, but it happens, and that is, of course, is the challenge these days. With with you know, in our early days of going to concerts, <clears throat> nobody was nobody had cell phones, nobody was recording no. performances, things like that. So you just as an artist now, you have to be so careful. Yeah. and yeah, everybody has that uh, high quality video recorder in their back pocket, and so. Um, it's it's a tough time, and, and I'm glad that you and I, when we were going to high school and, and college, that they didn't have that because we'd probably be serving time uh, at this point. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, true. yeah, and then the other thing that happened that same month was Blau sold uh, 33 NFTs for nearly $12 million, and we talked quite a bit about how that NFT as a digital collectible, maybe with investors or what they call the crypto bros, you know, that has really calmed way down. And now NFTs are really more about, you know, functionality and utility and are tied to physical things and experiences. And we've said all along that, you know, NFTs, that underlying technology, I think is going to be around for a long time. But we all kind of felt like it was a bubble that was about to burst. But yeah, that wasn't that long ago, February, at the end of February of 2021, uh, 33 NFTs from Blau that sold for $12 million. Yeah, wow. Uh, back in March of 2021, March 26th, <laughs> Little Nas X drops Montero. <laughs> Call me by your name. And I can't really top this description. It says, the only Grammy-nominated video to feature someone giving a lap dance, a lap dance to Satan. There it is. What more can you say, Jay? Exactly. And, and that, you know, like a lot of, uh, things in rock and roll history, you know, going back to Elvis, you know, um, there's that shock value um, when you do something and it gets people to talk about it. But it was an amazing video. Uh, and amazing. by the way, I got it. We talked about the Elvis movie last week. I did see it. Oh, you did? Oh, my God. It's a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we loved it. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. So if you haven't seen the Elvis movie, uh, go out and see it. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. Um, really well done. Um, the next one was in June of 2021. The Foo Fighters performed kind of one of the first kind of comeback concerts. Yeah. You know, we weren't really having a lot of concerts because of the shutdown, the lockdown, and the Foo Fighters performed 
um, kind of this return to live show at Madison Square Garden. So they played kind of a club date um, like five days before that. And then they made national headlines because on June 20th of 2021, um, they played Madison Square Garden. So that was kind of like, all right, yeah, welcome we, back. Welcome to the new abnormal. We're coming back. That's right. I'm going to skip forward just a little bit back. Uh, don't forget, it's September 20th of 2021. Universal Music Group went public, our wow. former employers. Um, and uh, the, the benchmark, uh, it also set a benchmark for what the biggest music label group in the world was worth, some $39 billion, which ballooned past $53 billion following Amazing. the first day of trading, yeah. making it the most valuable, valuable music company in history. Yeah, and a, a couple of others, and then we can kind of move on because this piece lists, you know, 25 different things. But we, like you said, we've kind of forgotten about some of these things because there's been so much news, so fast and furious. And uh, I, I'd almost forgotten about in November of 2021, you know, Travis Scott's Astral World Festival, yeah. you know, that ended uh, in disaster. That was, you know, horrendous. And then I remember watching this Drake and Kanye. Uh, remember, they had kind of a feud uh, going. But then they had this, they called it the Larry Hoover concert. You know, they buried the hatchet after, you know, some of this prolonged bickering. You know, and, and after releasing two of the most successful albums of 2021, which was, you know, uh, Donda and uh, Certified Lover Boy, respectively, in back-to-back -back weeks, they put on a co-headlining show in support of imprisoned Chicago gang leader uh, Larry Hoover, and it was it was kind of cool to see them, you know, stop the bickering and kind of bury the hatchet, and then perform mm -hmm. together. And uh, I thought that was amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And then one of the last ones, which we talked about a lot, Jay, back uh, in January of this year, Vinyl officially found out, I should say, that Vinyl officially outsold CDs for 2021. Wow. Yes, yeah. we are still talking about Vinyl. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. And then, of course, Kate Bush's Running Up That Hill appears across multiple episodes of Stranger Things, which I'm still getting through right now, the, the latest season of Stranger Things. But uh, nice to see Kate Bush back uh, on the charts and kind of hearing about that great song. And yeah, I, I wish Bob Mercer was still alive. Um, I used to work with Bob Mercer. He's the one that discovered Kate Bush. Mm -hmm. If you don't know Bob Mercer, you know, he... He helped put on the a concert for Campuchia. He managed McCartney for a short time. He worked at EMI. Uh, I got to work with him at Universal, and he was, you know, he'd forgotten more about the industry than most people knew. Yeah. And what a charming guy and yeah. just a raconteur. And, you know, just one of those, this sort of prototypical record company guy from the 70s and 80s, really. Yeah. Just, you know, when it was really a fun business. And, yeah. Working with some of the huge acts that EMI had in those in those years, including Queen and Pink yeah, Floyd and all you know those he's the guy that they partially made that one character, the Mike Myers character in the Queen movie, is partially yes. based on Bob Mercer because Bob told him you can't release Bohemian Rhapsody. What is this? You can't do it. And I remember when I was working with Bob, I had purchased the. Uh, John Lennon Walls and Bridges, kind of a deluxe edition thing. Mm -hmm. And I was listening to it and it came with a bonus disc, which had an interview and it was Bob Mercer interviewing John Lennon. And I was yeah. like, man, this guy. And he was, <laughs> he was such a sweetheart. Yeah. Um, his son Jackson uh, worked at uh, Concord uh, at the time. I, he may still even be there, but really great people. And I just wanted to you know, do that uh, shout out to uh, Bob Mercer. 
Yeah, exactly. So fun to kind of look backwards and see where we've been to how we're getting here yeah. now. And then la- the last story, which is a really interesting one, and, and something that you, I think you and I have talked offline about this. This is also from Billboard. Artists are leveraging false infringement claims against rivals. Yeah. And, you know, as the article points out, um, from Elias Light, by the way, or Leet. Yes. Uh, is it lead or light? I, I, I'm not sure. I reached out to him. I haven't heard back yet, but we have a mutual friend in Maddie uh, Elise from Shark Attack. And um, I had a an issue. I won't go into it, but with my email, all of a sudden it was going into people's spam <laughs> folders. Mm-hmm. And I had it corrected, and now it's it's working fine. But at, I, it may have gone into his spam. But um, I think it's Elias Late. Um, okay. but, uh, hopefully I can get in touch with him. He's written some really great articles that you and I have covered. And this one, again, you and I have talked about this a little bit, but we've been hearing rumblings about this, that people are kind of, uh, playing games, um, with these infringement claims. Absolutely. As they say, it's easy to report a song for violating copyright law on Spotify. It's also easy to abuse the system to derail acts with viral momentum, according to a lot of different managers. And I've bumped into this a lot, which is, um, and my experiences were with with The Orchard and and a catalog that I was working on. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it it, kind of comes in waves and you would get these people just basically, you know, uh, contesting your rights to have those songs up. And it completely puts a halt to everything. And it's, you know, in this day and age, it's not like you can pick up the phone and call customer service and work it out. It is really, really hard. And the same thing with Amazon, the same thing with lots of different uh, places online where things are sold and there can be sort of a... a, a, uh, some sort of a disagreement about ownership. Right. And, and it's a real issue. Yeah. And yeah. um yeah. Well, so that's kind of what this article is about. It is. And what I tell people, um, I, I get artists and managers every week that say, Well, why don't I just, you know, put this through a DIY distributor? And DIY distributors are fine. But one of the benefits of having a larger distributor, let's say it's a major indie, indie like you had mentioned, The Orchard or, mm-hmm. you know, In Grooves or Symphonic, is they're problem solvers and they have direct relationships with these platforms. So if there is a claim, um, they can address it for you quickly and get somebody on the phone. Because as Elias points out in this article, you know, the tactic of using the takedown feature against a competitor or rival is more common on platforms like Instagram or TikTok. Both have a report function uh, that's supposed to be used for content that violates the platform's guidelines. But, you know, influencers sometimes come under attack from rival fan bases or bots who quote unquote report their page um, in order to get it pulled down. And we've seen this happen um, where there's been a false claim made and these platforms, whether it's Instagram, TikTok, Spotify, whatever, they have to take these claims seriously. So what they do is they pull it down, and then there's kind of this investigation into you know the validity. Well, that can you know derail um, your release and that release cycle, and it's it's now becoming a thing where people are using it as a tool against their rivals. Yeah, and it's it's so easy to do. Um, and it's, it, it, yeah, like I said, I've bumped up into this a couple of times and it's really frustrating because essentially what the article says is that, you know, to, they, the, the platform wants you to reach out to the other party that's making the claim 
and then you all work it out. That's and right. Get back to us. That's and, right. And then what happens, of course, is you can't you can't connect with these people that are making, these or they claims. don't want to be connected with, or they don't want to be connected to. Exactly. So therein lies the huge rub, and um, you know, it's just it's it's you feel so helpless when you're dealing with this because there's somebody who's basically claim you know you you basically have to prove your innocence or prove that you have the rights to that to that right. song or that record or that whatever it is. And it's it, it can be time consuming, and as the article talks about, you lose your momentum. Yeah, and you're like you just mentioned, you have to get the person who launched the complaint to withdraw, and sometimes they don't want to be contacted, and other times you may not be able to work it out. There was this really great quote from Day Bogan, um, mm-hmm. who said that you know anywhere there's content and there's some system with a trust mechanism to flag violations, there's an opportunity for abuse and misuse. Um, he's, he's the head of third-party partnerships at the MLC, by the way. He said, quote, bad actors are going to do what they're going to do, end quote. And I think... You know, there's no easy solution to this because you do want to have a mechanism where if somebody's monetizing your video on their YouTube channel or mm-hmm. someone's stolen your your beat that you've created and that you sell and maybe they're using it uh, without authorization or, you know, blatant uh, misuse, there's got to be a mechanism to trigger that complaint. But there's also this problem of people using it as a way to kind of get ahead of their competitors. Yeah, lame. They they mention um, it says another manager who who requested uh, anonymity when when they talked about this, uh, talked about it, his experience with a viral hit that was pulled down, um, and wasn't able to compel the person behind the false takedown request to email him back. The manager's client had bought the exclusive license to a beat online, but a number of other acts had previously obtained what are known as basic licenses. They were allowed to use the instrumental under a limited set of circumstances. As a result, multiple songs built around the same beat were floating around the Internet. When the artists with the exclusive rights to the instrumental started to obtain viral traction, other people who had had their own songs using the same beat saw it as competition, the Axe manager says. One of them submitted a takedown on Spotify, even though the artist who was give, going viral had the rights to release his song using the same beat as his rival. It took around three weeks for the manager to make contact with the person behind the unfounded takedown request. And because that person was not responding to emails, the, the, the manager yeah. ended up stalking the artist on Instagram, found a phone number, cold called him, and convinced him to remove his infringement claim by promising to offer career advice in exchange. But then he said, we had some momentum and we didn't want to lose that, so we were freaking out. He said, but we lost money. And so, you know, when you're talking again about beats and the licensing of of specific components to a song, as we talked a lot about how that sort of changing complexity of songwriting you can see what kind of a mess that has absolutely and And it's it's kind of just a nightmare it's it's not fair it's not a level playing field when you talk about indie artists you know they they say you know in in elias's great piece here that you know if you put a claim against an indie artist you're going up against a kid in a bedroom who made a dope song you know one uh, label owner said you know they don't have a legal team to fight on their behalf you know and he said that I could just not like a record, claim it was infringing, 
and then not respond to the artist behind the record when they reach out, said one manager, then the record would be held in purgatory unless they have a relationship with Spotify that can help them undo the takedown. So this is this is a little scary, you know, that people can use this as a tool against other artists. And and I'm really glad that Elias wrote this piece and kind of brought this, you know, out of the shadows and into the light because it's something we talk about, but it's not talked about enough. And there needs to be, you know, mechanisms that are a little bit quicker. So when you have something, you know, levied against you, some kind of a complaint that you have maybe a faster recourse, because as you just pointed out, this could take weeks to get back online. Absolutely. And it, it's a, a helpless feeling when, when it happens to you because you want to do something about it, but you can't do anything about it. And suddenly, like you said, you're in purgatory and your song is not up and you just lose the momentum. And yeah. it's awful, awful feeling. So, yeah. well, Jay, let's wrap up episode 100, shall 100. we? 100. It's hard to believe. I know. Hard to believe. We, Brother, it it's been so, so amazing doing this with you every single week. It's been such a joy and has been it's it's launched so many great conversations. I've met so many cool, uh, interesting people because of doing this podcast mm-hmm. and our audience has grown. And, you know, as we mentioned at the top of uh, this uh, episode, we we have a, a special episode dropping um, later this week, this coming week. And it's a, an amazing conversation with you know, someone who I look up to and is one of my uh, just favorite authors and just one of the smartest people I've ever met. And that's that's Will Page. And that'll be our bonus episode for our celebration of 100 episodes. And uh, I can't thank you enough for, uh, you know, joining me on this journey. It's just been an absolute blast. I am. The pleasure has been all mine, without a doubt. And of course, we must thank our listeners. And thanks to everyone who, as Jay said at the top of the show, writes and reaches out and kind of talks to us. And and it's just it's a pleasure to hear from everyone. And we certainly appreciate it. And of course, we do want to thank our sponsors, Bandzoogle, Hypebot, and Bands in Town for taking us on and helping us on the ride. Yeah. uh, couldn't do it without them. We appreciate so on it. That, yeah. We do appreciate it. And on that note, folks, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with episode 101 <laughs> as we continue uh, the uh, Your Morning Coffee podcast, which we sure appreciate you all. Being thank you. Here. So we have sure a great do. week, and we will see you then on the Your Morning Coffee podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.